So at John chapter 12, we discussed and, and studied the anointing of Jesus and uh, where Mary had point, uh, poured out a very costly uh, bottle of uh, spikenard uh, and to, in worship of Jesus, anointing him. And uh, that Judas, in his fake spirituality, uh, let his you know drool and wolf fangs show, as we talked about, uh, that he say, oh, couldn't we have sold that and given the money to the poor? He really just wanted the money for his own pocket. So uh, we discussed that. We learned that the chief priests were also plotting to not only kill Jesus, but Lazarus also because word had spread that he had been dead for four days and Jesus, by his words, called Lazarus from the grave. So they were losing a lot of people. They were getting uh, getting threatened even more. And uh, when it says that more people were starting to leave, uh, they uh, wanted to ramp things up and take out Lazarus too. We uh, studied the triumphal entry. And uh, when, when Jesus came on the cult of a donkey, and uh, not what Israel was expecting, they were expecting the white horse and you know armies around him and he was going to set things straight and rule and reign and they had forgotten that uh, Jesus was to come as the suffering servant first he will come as the conquering king uh, he will return again uh, but the first time was to die for our sins and uh, when he was being told Luke 19 tells us that he was being told by the Pharisees to tell his everybody there to stop worshiping him. He goes, I can do that. The rocks are going to cry out. That he was going to be worshipped. And uh, that, that there was nothing that could stop uh, Jesus from being worshipped. And the religious leaders are now freaking out. And uh, they're, they're losing people. And, and Jesus declares that his hour had now come. And he says, Father, you know, glorify your son, glorify your name. And he says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And everybody around them heard, and it sound, some said it sounded like an earthquake or an angel had spoke, and, and uh, Jesus had prayed uh, that, uh, you know, and told them that, uh, that the voice, what they heard, was not for him. It was for them to hear. And uh, he told them that he was going to be lifted up. So that's where we are picking up here in John chapter 12, verse 37. It says, but although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah, the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said it again. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should come with their eyes, uh, lest they should see with their eyes, lest uh, they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that they should I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. You know, although all these signs, going back to verse thirty-seven, uh, had been done before them. Uh, Isaiah uh, 6 verses 9 through 10 gives us an explanation why uh, they couldn't uh, believe couldn't believe and, and uh, he wrote this as, as God had said to him and, and God was judging the people for their stiff necks and their hard hearts. So it, even though they would hear they wouldn't believe and uh, you know all those things that were just said there. Uh, what was happening is that these people were honoring God with their lips but their hearts were far from him. So they would, in, in name, in Jewish name, claim that they are walking with the Lord and that they were in right standing with the Lord, but their hearts were so far from him. And they, they weren't uh, at a point of repentance, and they were too stiff-necked. You guys, you know what happens when we have a stiff neck, right? You can't look around, you know, and, and uh, you ever slept wrong, or I, I was a wrestler in high school and uh, a little bit um, uh, for our base over in Italy, and um, I would often... Uh, in my matches, uh, strain my neck uh, so bad that I, uh, for a few days afterward, I couldn't get comfortable and I'd be walking around like this. When we're stiff-necked, uh, there isn't any, you know, you're not turning your head. When we're hard-hearted, when we're so set, we're rigid, right? That stiff neck, you're rigid. Uh, that hard heart, your heart is rigid. Uh, those, are, those are not good signs for the Christian. Spiritually, we should shouldn't if we find ourselves in that spot, we're in the wrong spot. Uh, it's not the Lord in the wrong place; it's us in the wrong place. So they were honoring God with their lips, but their heart were far from Him. 
and uh, they it says that you know although they had seen all these things they wanted the entertainment of the miracles remember they just kept asking Jesus for signs and Jesus said a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after signs or he'd say you know the only sign you're going to see is that sign of the prophet Jonah three days and three nights the son of man will be in in the um, at the face of the earth and uh, and will rise again you know those those signs that they they just wanted to see the magic show all the time. Think about it. When when something's coming here, um, you know, when the when the uh, Cirque du Soleil or any of those are here, it's exciting to watch because we see people that are doing extraordinary things. They are, I don't know, they're jumping through fiery hoops at you know 150 feet in the air or whatever, and you see all these things are getting launched, and it, there are things that will draw people, and a lot of people were being drawn because they wanted to see something happen. And uh, Jesus would uh, minister, and, and unfortunately there were those who didn't want to hear anything he had to say. They just wanted to see things. And uh, they had seen so many things, but they still didn't believe in him. You know, the Lord is for the repentance of the sinner, but if uh, you know he's rejected, he allows the sinner to reject him. That's, uh, you know, there's, there's a choice. Uh, to follow the Lord or not, and at some point there there comes that that ultimate rejection of the Lord, and uh, that's the uh, obviously the worst place anybody could ever be in, uh, you know. So if you know the Lord is calling out to you or us, uh, listen, respond, stop being so hard hearted and so stiff necked and stubborn. You know, you want to put it that way. There's, our hearts were stubborn. Uh, you know, here here in Maine, we we talk about how stubborn uh, we can be. I think maybe a little bit more than. Um, than some, I've, I haven't heard, uh, you know, a lot of people say, uh, from other places, the stubbornness, you know, we're, we're stubborn here because we're, you know, uh, kind of seasoned by, uh, all of our surroundings around us makes us a little bit tougher and a little bit, you know, growing. We don't, a lot of us guys don't walk around hugging each other. Um, the California, the guys are just, you know, they're giving hugs and it's just a little bit different. You know, we're a little more stoic here. Uh, but it, it let our hearts not be hard. Let them, uh, you know, our necks, our necks not be stiff. Got to be uh, pliable for the Lord. Verse uh, 42, nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And, you know, the hearts of the Pharisees uh, were in contention and uh, all along uh, in Jesus's ministry. And these, what, what they're doing is revealed again here, that they were threatening everybody. That, hey, anybody wants to follow Jesus, you're going to get kicked out of the synagogue. You know, you want to mess around where, you know, uh, and, uh, and wander away, you're never going to be welcome back. So what it was doing is it was intimidating these people and, uh, and uh, they were getting to the point where they had to make a decision. And uh, even the rulers and as the rulers heard and they believed, they were too afraid to follow Jesus because of the public rejection that they would, uh, they would then uh, experience. And, you know, they, it says here uh, very plainly that they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. And uh, that's never a good spot for a Christian to be in, that we would say, I don't want to you know, make my faith known because then I might lose X. Uh, we, we are called to, you know, we can't compromise our faith just because somebody doesn't like it. Uh, we're we're supposed to follow the Lord uh, no matter uh, you know what's happening in our lives, and uh, so they're intimidating the people. Even the rulers are threatened uh, by being expelled from the synagogue. And and, and uh, what is the result of that is uh, complete and total ruin, you know, uh, for them if they decide to follow Jesus. And uh, they're they're culturally going to be disowned. They're going to be kicked out of church. And uh, they're going to be culturally, uh, un culturally unclean, and uh, nobody's going to want to deal with them, and it would cost them everything. And and that's the call of Jesus, though. And the call is is you know what good is it a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul, right? Yeah, we can we can play church and we can play all these things, but if at any time when anybody asks you a Christian, you go to church, well, yeah, you know, the wife drags me. You know, or, you know, you go to church, do you, you know, how many times do we get in that, that, that uh, mindset uh, when our hearts aren't right with the Lord? You know, and, you know, somebody may, uh, hey, aren't you a Christian? It depends on why you're asking and who's asking. If that's our response, we're in big trouble. You know, but at the name of Jesus, 
we're supposed to be bold and we're supposed to be able to stand. You know, if it costs us friends and, uh, you know, uh, business deals or whatever, then so be it. You know, I'd rather have whatever the Lord has for us. And what I've seen actually opposite is those circumstances of the threatening, just like what we see here. Uh, it never comes to fruition. And even if it does, the Lord blesses in another way that far exceeds whatever is lost. And uh, it's it's I've seen that uh, with people that I know that have had to make some pretty important business decisions, works decisions. And uh, as they choose to follow the Lord, it's like life takes off for them there. And they're like, you'd never believe it. There's this, this and this happening. Uh, so the uh, these people had uh, loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And they weren't willing to uh, be public about their faith in Jesus. Verse 44. <clears throat> and Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me. Believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, and whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I did not come into the world to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, he has, uh, has that which judges him. The word uh, that I have spoken, I will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know <clears throat> that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. Lord says, if you believe in him, you believe in the Father. He's speaking to this crowd there. If you see him, you've seen the Father. Remember when Philip got to the point, he's like, Lord, show us the Father. He's like, have I been with you so long that you don't know who I am? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You know, the, the uh, familiarity. And uh, he, they kind of for, forgotten. And so the Lord had to remind him. Jesus says he's the light of the world. And uh, he goes on to say, uh, if you reject his word, uh, if someone were to reject his word, they have that which judges him. And you know, the rejection of God's God's word. And, I, you know, from a personal standpoint, I'd rather have uh, his word save me than to judge me. You know, I don't want to hear, you know, uh, you know, away, go away from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. You know, we don't want that. You know that that and, and we don't want anybody around us uh, to experience that. That's the worst thing we could ever hear from God: is depart from me. If there's correction, then the correction there's still hope. But that depart from me, that's it. You know they've had the word the judges. Remember um, Abraham and uh, Abraham's bosom and the rich man and Lazarus are uh, uh, there. They both died and. Uh, the rich man had experienced much blessing in his life and, and didn't use anything to care for Lazarus. And when uh, the situation comes, as the Lord was explaining it, that the rich man saw uh, Lazarus, he's, he's asking, oh, can you, can you just send Lazarus so he can put a drop of, of water on my tongue? And, uh, and Abraham's saying, there's a gulf between us. There's nothing that can be done there. And he's, oh, well, will you just send him, uh, you know, send him to go speak to my relatives? And and Abraham says, no, they have, uh, they have the word, they have the law and the prophets to speak to them. No, but if they see somebody, they'll believe. No, nope. no, nope, they have the law, they have the word. It's important for uh, he's highlighting how important the word of God is. And, uh, you know, he who verse 48, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. You know, the word that I've spoken will judge him in the last day. That the, the words are already there. They're on paper. It's just whether or not someone's going to read them and submit our lives to them. Jesus uh, proclaims here that he's speaking on the Father's authority and has been granted to him. And if you uh, if you look at verse forty nine, it says uh, that uh, sorry in verse fifty that uh, God's command is everlasting life. You know whatever the Father has told me, so I speak. Jesus says, you know, his first time coming, he wasn't to come as the judge. You know, John uh, three seventeen. for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You know, that's, that's the, the first coming, you know, he, uh, 
he gives us the words of eternal life. It's what do we do with them? Do we kind of toy around with them? Uh, do we believe them wholeheartedly and follow them? Do we reject them fully? Uh, everybody has that choice when they hear them. And the encouragement always in the scripture in this morning is to is to follow Jesus. And uh, uh, we're never going to, never, we will never go astray if we're following the Lord. Not one time. There were never, God is never going to lead us into sin. Uh, he's, he's never going to lead us to a point where we're, we're walking away from him, anything like that. As we follow the Lord, we're always going to be in his will every single time. And as we are obedient to his word, you know, there may be things that we don't enjoy that happen as a result of, of being obedient to him. But uh, his rewards are always going to far exceed whatever um, uh, the circumstances or whatever this world can offer us. Verse. Uh, let's move into John chapter 13. So uh, the setting... Jesus and the disciples are in the upper room, and if you were to look at Mark 14 and Luke 22, uh, the disciples asked Jesus where he'd like to celebrate uh, the the uh, Passover feast, and uh, they uh, are asking those things, and, and it's all been prepared by the Lord, and he uh, told them, he said, hey, go into the city, and when you get in there, you're going to see a man walking with a pitcher of water, follow him, and he's going to take you to an upper room, that's where uh, that's where we're going to meet. And it happens exactly the way Jesus said. And we saw that uh, as we were studying in John several times. And, and as you're studying any of the um, gospel accounts, when Jesus says, hey, it's going to, you're going to go out and you're going to do this and this is going to be the result, it always happened that way. And uh, it, it happened actually uh, with the triumphal entry, the same thing with finding the donkey. And uh, when uh, the cult of the donkey, the Lord told him where to go. And when if somebody asks, you just say the Lord has need of it. And sure enough, when they go out, they find the cult of the donkey uh, tied there. And, and the Lord's orchestrating all these things. He's not going to lead them to embarrassment and lead them to a point where they're going, oh, no, that's what we get for following Jesus and, 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 and following after him. Is As they were obedient, things came together. And uh, you know that's what brought them to the upper room. So the setting here is the Last Supper, and we're going to see uh, three key things that we'll focus on is uh, the Lord's humility and servanthood, that he's washing the disciples' feet. <clears throat> it was in direct contrast to the attitudes that the disciples had displayed. And uh, the, the last thing is it's symbolic of our role in the body of Christ. So as we move through this chapter... These are the things we're going to focus on. Verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, uh, he loved them to the end. So the feast of Passover celebrating uh, the give, uh, the first time was celebrated uh, before the giving of the law and uh, to celebrate uh, the exodus from Egypt. And, of course, that would carry out from there. It was a week long, and it was uh, one that the Jews were required to attend. Jesus states here, uh, it states here that uh, the hour had come that he should depart from the world. So everything had been building up. His whole ministry had been pointing to this. And there were times where Jesus would say, and we discussed it last week, my hour has not yet come. This isn't the time. This isn't the time for me to be recognized as Messiah. So, hey, I know I just healed you of leprosy. Go and be quiet. And, of course, they can't. You know, and they're going and they're telling everybody and the crowd comes and they they all want to see Jesus. They want to hear him. But this is uh, the culmination of, of what's been uh, happening in the last three years. And it's the last week of Jesus's life and uh, earthly ministry. And, uh, you know, Jesus had said, as we were studying uh, last week, you know, should I pray that I would be delivered? And he said, this is what I came for. This is the, this hour that we're studying here, the hour of his death. Uh, is is really why he came. So uh, it, it wouldn't make sense for him to pray to be delivered from it. He knew that that it had to come, and that he uh, had to be obedient to the Father's will. It also says here in verse one that it says, "Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end." Now the love of Jesus doesn't end, and and his love is selfless, and. Uh, 
where it says here uh, that he loved those that were his own. You know, here there's the John three sixteen, the love that Jesus has for everybody. But that special relationship we have with Jesus uh, gives us a different uh, level of experiencing that love than those who were rejecting uh, his his word. Not that we're special; we're only special because of of who he is. Uh, if you consider John chapter 10, 11, Jesus says, uh, you know, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, those that are following, uh, that are those that are following. The, and so the ones that are of his flock that are following him are going to experience his love greater than those who uh, are haven't embraced it or are rejecting it. So uh, we know from reading and what's what's coming up next is Jesus pouring his life out uh, for uh, this, the sinner that, that comes to him. Uh, Tenney, a Bible scholar, says this, to the fullest extent, we're discussing he loved them to the end, says this, to the fullest extent is a better rendering of the original Greek than the King James Version of unto the end. It does not mean that Jesus continued to love his disciples only up to the end of his, of his career, his, his ministry, but that he loved his, his love has no limits. His love has no limits. So that where it says up, uh, he loved them to the end, uh, that in the original Greek, Tenny is saying that uh, it's it's not that uh, he loved them up to that point, and then from there he, he stopped. You know, somebody can look and go, well, what happened afterward? But it's really that his love has no limits for those that, that were working with him and uh, that, that are walking with him and, and trusting him. So, okay. <laughs> so uh, somebody's not happy. The love of Christ far transcends earthly love, the love of, of, of humans. Because what happens with human love is it's often, and versus uh, if you compare it to the love of Christ, which was a selfless love, you look at you know, man's love, it's often selfish love. And it's a love that is focused on uh, what can I get out of this relationship? What can I get out of you know these people, this thing, uh, rather than pouring out ourselves in selflessness? You know the the fact that men and women can look at each other and say, "I've fallen out of love with you." How do you how do you fall out of? You know, did you, was was love a boat that you fell out of, or you know, was it something? You know, that, the fact is, is that I'm no longer interested in you because I'm selfish. Is really what's being said. I'm selfish, and I have a selfish desire for someone else because someone's only saying that because they have a selfish, sinful desire for somebody else. That's it. You know, when somebody is married, that love is supposed to be from the day. Uh, hopefully was from before the day of marriage, but from that day forward, when we make that vow, this, this ring isn't a horseshoe where it comes and it's a loop and you get to get to get out of it. The ring symbolizes in a, a covenant that lasts from the day we get married all the way to the end and only to that person. There's no messing around on the side. There's no secretly trying to, you know, uh, you know, as today's culture says, hook up here and there and this, this, uh, all these things, that selfish love that I'm, I don't care enough about this person. I despise this person enough in my heart that I want to follow my own heart and I don't care if it breaks their heart. I don't care what it does to them. I want what I want. We see the complete opposite of who Jesus Christ is in pouring himself out for us rather than this selfish a selfish uh, love that that the world uh, experiences. So you can hear songs of love, and you hear, uh, you know, oh, I'd steal the moon for you, and I'd walk the mountain, and I'd swim the sea, and I'd I'd do all these things until they get what they want. And then when they get what they want, it's uh, okay, you know, this is, you know, uh, I'm done with the relationship. I'm I'm moving on. It's a selfish love uh, where it says Jesus is. It's there's no end to his love, and it's a selfless love. Verse two, and supper being ended, the devil having already put into put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now this could also be understood to say that Satan had made up his mind to use Judas, and uh, you know Satan had been looking for somebody to betray Christ, and and Judas's heart was in rebellion uh, to Christ, and and uh, it's available, and so Satan uh, chose to use the one that's rejecting. Christ, and that was the one, he had walked around with Jesus throughout his whole ministry. 
as a fraud, as a fake, stealing money. Uh, we discussed that here recently. He he didn't care. It was even last week. He didn't care about you know the 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 money that could be uh, gained from selling the expensive oil. He just wanted more money to line his pocket. John chapter six, Jesus called him a devil. One of you is a devil. And when we see that, it's not a surprise. Some people have said, well, well, he didn't have any choice. No, he most definitely did. Jesus called him a devil. He didn't say, oh, he unexpectedly and, and, and wrongfully uh, was taken over by the, by, uh, the devil. No, he was, a, he was a devil worshiper in the way he conducted his life. You know, did he have the seances and the whatever else? Probably not. But all it takes is just to worship self. That's all it really takes. So Judas, Judas didn't belong to Christ. And, and uh, when Jesus says he was a devil himself, I'll take that over anybody else's commentary that they can try to explain this away. Jesus said he's a devil. He's a devil. He's a wicked man. He's a son of perdition. We're going to look at that. A man of sin is what that means. Son of perdition means he's a man of sin. Not a man of God, man of whatever. He was a, his life was completely uh, just filled with sin. That was, that was where he found his, his contentment. We'll discuss that here in a little bit. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wa wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. You know, he, uh, verse 3 says that he had come from God and was going to God. He's the eternal God. We saw in John chapter 1 that in the beginning was God, and uh, he was with God, and it, the word was God. Uh, so this is God in the flesh that is uh, taking himself and, and doing the completely unthinkable thing, especially in their culture, for a master to remove their garments, grab just a towel, and to take the lowliest place of servanthood and start washing the nasty feet of disciples that have been walking on dusty roads all day long. That's the God of the universe, washing the feet, taking the absolute lowest part, uh, lowest place of servanthood, and washing their feet. And he begins to show the greatest example of humility that can ever be uh, you know, exercised. There, there, there's no other example that's going to uh, trump this than God coming and washing the sinner's feet. So he, he's leading by example here. Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28 says, uh, But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be the servant. And whoever desires to be the first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus is the ultimate example of selflessness and of humility. And you'd think of like, we probably wouldn't think of the almighty God being also the greatest example of humility in the world's eyes, right? Because the world will think of almighty God who would never lower himself. If you don't have an understanding of the God of the Bible, the creator of the universe, if we don't have a proper understanding of him, they, a lot of people just think of him as an angry God with lightning bolts ready to just take people out. Don't walk into church. As soon as you walk through, it's going to catch on fire. It's going to collapse on you. You know, it's, that's, the, that's the God that, that many uh, think of when they think of the God of the Bible because they don't know him. They don't have that. And unfortunately, uh, the church doesn't do a great job in, in reflecting who he is and his humility and his love. And it, it, that's on the church. You know, we should be reflecting his humility, his love, his grace, his mercy. Because the disciples had thought too highly of themselves, remember they had the argument 
who's going to be greatest? Who's going to be greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And uh, they had to get knocked down quite a few pegs by Jesus. And uh, Jesus tells them that they were uh, being called to serve and not to reign. Mark chapter 9, verse 35 uh, says, He sat them down, he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. You know, when we see God the Son girding a towel to wash their feet, uh, hopefully that was the the only lesson they needed. Uh, you're never going to get a greater example. You know, uh, to experience something in a classroom or or to go to some sort of training and like, I need the best training, everything. Jesus is giving them the most powerful example of ministry that they would ever need when the God of all creation would humble himself to the point of removing uh, all his clothes, putting on a towel and washing their stinky feet and, and showing them that even though I'm God, I'm your master. And uh, especially in that culture that a master would never, it was totally unthinkable for the master to be ser serving, uh, to be washing the servant's feet. And Jesus gives them the ultimate example of humility and service. That, that no doubt changed the disciples. And when they're learning, so how do we minister you know, to, to the church? Oh, remember what Jesus did for us? That he washed our feet, that he loved us, that he cared for us, and that, that was something that they could carry for them. As Jesus was minister, ministering, he, he had those 12, and we know that one was gone. So those 11 moved uh, forward after uh, Judas hangs himself. Sorry, spoiler there, but uh, Judas ends up hanging himself after, after uh, betraying the Lord. And these 11 are told, they're sent out, they, from, they go from being a disciple, one that's being disciplined, to an apostle, one that is sent out, sent ones. And they're sent out to uh, minister and to proclaim the gospel. And uh, Matthew 28 is, is the record of the Great Commission. And they're all sent out from there. You know, to one, now that you've seen all these examples and you've learned from me and you've seen all these things and you know the word, go out and make disciples of all nations. It's not, hey, great, you know it all. Now keep it all, uh, you know, uh, kept in your head and you can be quiet and just kind of go through the rest of your life. That wasn't for them and it's not for us. We, we're not all called to be, you know, Billy Graham's, you know, filling stadiums. But we are all called to follow the Lord, to love people, to share his grace and mercy and share his word as he leads. He brings us to that opportunity like, I wonder how I could be forgiven. You know, I'm just I'm walking around with this, this, this burden in my life and I've made such a mess. You don't have to pray if God's opened the door. The door's wide open. Walk through it and, and just say, I, you know, I've been there. You know, I've been there in my life of, been at you know at whatever point, and God's God ministered to me, and He wants to minister to you, and we can share those things. These disciples, what they just experienced, they they had to be so greatly and profoundly impacted by that 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 it, it followed them, and they didn't go around lording it. Remember. Uh, because when Peter and John are walking into the temple and, and the guy that's begging there and he's asking, asking them for money and everything. And Peter just looks at him and is like, I don't have any, you know, silver and gold. I don't have, but what I have, uh, I offer you. And, and, and he, he's able to share Jesus with this man. And there were times when the disciple, the apostles would go somewhere and people would want to praise him. And they're like, no, 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 no. I'm just, a, I'm just a man. I'm just a man. Just like you stand up. You know, don't, don't praise me. They, they got the message of humility. At some point coming down the line, the church lost that, and the church became so pride-filled. And, and uh, you know, you can walk around. You look at a lot of churches today, a pastor might walk around, you know, chest puffed out, and I'm, I'm the important man here. No, pastor's supposed to be the servant of all. Not supposed to be walking around lording it and, uh, you know, hey, kiss the ring as I walk by. That's foolishness, but, but somehow the church let it go, and and it just it became such uh, foolishness that that was embraced and and um, and derails people's faith and turns people away. <clears throat> you know, when we see our Lord, uh, you know, washing feet, any minister that wants to elevate themselves, you know, compare them to Jesus. Say, oh, okay, who who is who is more godly? Who's showing more love and more grace and everything? It's always going to be Jesus.
Verse 6, Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash your feet, I have you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely uh, is, is, is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore, he said, you are not all clean. So Peter knew that Jesus was much greater than him. And you know, just remember back just a little bit in, in, in the other gospel accounts where uh, as the, the great uh, fishing experience had happened and they're pulling in fish, they've been fishing all night, and Jesus tells them, you know, hey, let's go back out. And and uh, when they catch all those fish, you know, Peter didn't just celebrate and go, hey, you know, look at me. I'm a great fisherman. He understood something about Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ was supernatural. There was something different there. And he turns and when he sees Jesus, he, he drops and he says, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You don't want anything to do with me. You don't. There, there's nothing you want to do. With, I'm a sinful man. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. That was Peter's take on it. So when Peter is here, and now the one uh, you know that had uh, he had walked through uh, with uh, throughout his whole ministry, uh, that he had seen people uh, raised from the dead by, and, and he had seen Jesus uh, healing the lame and the sick and the blind, and the one that he had heard preach with authority that nobody had ever seen before. You know that one is now taking the lowest position and washing the feet of the disciples and and. Uh, have we ever seen or, or th heard of a king doing that? No, you never would. And, uh, you know, when we see in the scripture that we're called to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Uh, you know, the Lord uh, is the ultimate example. So when Peter sees this, and he sees everything that's happening here, and, and who he knows who Jesus is, he 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 has a uh, he's telling Jesus, like, Lord, you're washing my feet. And Jesus says to him, what I'm doing, uh, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. You know, this was more important than Peter could imagine. And uh, he didn't understand what Jesus was doing and, and why. And uh, he's he's got a, uh, he's, he's trying to stop Jesus from doing what he's doing. And, and just another reminder that we are not called to understand what God is doing, but we're called to follow him. That's it. We may not know as we're following the Lord and we know that he's leading us or he's doing a certain thing in our lives, even though we don't understand it doesn't mean that, that we're to stop following him. We're called to follow him by faith. If we don't understand, we don't have to understand it. We're just called to believe in the Lord and to follow him. So, you know, Jesus is reassure is assuring him here that, uh, you know, you, you don't understand now, but you will know after this. And his, Peter's response is, you shall never wash my feet. You know, this is, this, isn't this Peter's personality just coming right to the front here? He's always a, you know, he's a fisherman. We know he's rough around the edges. Like we said, he got to that point where he looks at Jesus like, you don't want anything. To, I, I, I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. And uh, he was always speaking his mind, and we know sometimes foot should go in mouth, or would end up in his mouth because he would say something stupid. He'd say something great, and then he'd say something stupid or do something stupid. But we see uh, what's happening uh, here, and, and Peter's personality is coming out. And uh, he knew, loved, and respected Jesus, and that wasn't a question. He had a great love and respect for Jesus, and uh, he knew that he was to serve Jesus and, and uh, not the other way around. So when Jesus is serving him, it's taking his his mind and his world and flipping it upside down. He doesn't know what to do. Like, why are you washing my feet? You're the master. Uh, you know, you, you are the Christ, the Son of, of God, and you're washing my feet. It's and so he has this this uh, he wants to argue with the Lord, and Jesus informs him that if he uh, doesn't allow him uh, to wash him. He has no part with him. And if uh, uh, just important to understand, if somebody has not been washed in Christ, there is no fellowship with him. If they don't have uh, the, you know, the cleansing that comes from Jesus, uh, they don't have fellowship with him. 
So uh, in our conversation, uh, whatever it may be, well, I, and I heard it again uh, recently uh, this week of, oh, you don't, you don't need to go to church. You know, my, my, just, they're talking about one of their relatives and, oh, very religious person. And me saying, they told me that I don't need to go to church. I can go to church wherever I'm at. Okay. So they're just religious. Okay, great. They've got a, a bunch of ceremonies that they'll complete and the, a bunch of check marks that they'll cross off and they're like, hey, I'm good. I'm good. They've made up. No, that's not what the Lord has called us to have a relationship with him. With him. Each and every single one of us. It's not just coming and checking boxes and, hey, I went to church today. Uh, I looked at my Bible. That should count, right? You know, I, or I thought about it. You know, God knows, uh, you know, my heart. And, and yeah, he does. And he knows how wicked it is because it's just as wicked as mine. Just as wicked as any of us in here. And if we unplug from church, uh, it, it's not, uh, this isn't me trying to uh, gain some uh, big following and, you know, start writing books and changing my name and all that. That's, that's craziness of the world. It's so that people can be saved, that we all together can be edified, built up as a church to minister to this community. And the Lord's going to bring the increase. He, it has to happen. You know, as, as, as God is ministering and his word is going out, he is going to cause the increase. Uh, well, I can keep going, but uh, so so what we have here is I'll get back to what we were talking. Get up my soapbox here, but uh, you know Peter replied and he says uh, when when Jesus tells him that if you you have uh, basically you know when he says to him uh, you have no part with me if I haven't washed him and look at Peter's response. But Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. You know Peter knew his wretched state just like we all do, and uh, that the washing of Jesus was something that he needed. And when he heard that from Jesus, he asked for his feet, his hands, and his head uh, to be washed. You know, the places uh, his feet had been, you know, the things his hands had done, the thoughts uh, that were going through his mind or, uh, you know, what he thinks of or, you know what, I need everything to change. You know, where I go, what I do, what I think, wash everything, Lord. That's quite a request. That's a that's a that's a very wise request. You know, you'd think you know might not come from uh, somebody who's an everyday guy. And he's a fisherman, but he understood when Jesus uh, said that that he needed Jesus for more than just a foot washing. What are we called to do? Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. When he's talking, wash my head, my mind. You know, we need to be cleansed by God, and when we are. Things change. And uh, Romans 10.15 says, And how uh, shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. If, you know, feet typically aren't beautiful after walking dusty roads, right? Ever at the end of a day um, where you've been out working and uh, maybe you had sandals on and uh, you look at your feet, <laughs> look at those things and they are not even the same color. You just, and, and you start, I remember my kids, you know, we'd be, you know, giving them a, a bath, you know, after you usually have to spray their feet off before we put them in, you know, before we start the bath water, because it's automatically just going to start, you know, turn from clear to gray or black. You know, those, those feet, they get gross and uh, because they're out doing those things. But the spiritual sense of the feet of those who preach the gospel, how beautiful they are. You know, we're bringing the glad tidings of good things. Uh, you know, that everything changes for us once we've accepted the gospel and we're walking with the Lord. You know, the, where we go, what we do, what we think. Uh, that whole, the renewing of our mind that happens because of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. So when he had washed their feet, taken, it, uh, taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. 
So these are these are you know that's quite a, a heavy question here. Um, and it's it, when he says, "Do you know what I have done for you?" When we're reading, we can we can read right past that and realize that, and not even realize what's being said here. That the Lord says, "Do you know what I've done for you?" That's something to meditate on. You know, when you think of what he just did physically for them and that that ministered to them. But if any of us were following him, uh, that we could put our place, uh, put ourselves in that place and understand that the Lord is doing amazing things for us also. And he's teaching us. He's teaching them the ultimate example of humility and service because they're about to move into ministry in their lives. How does he prepare us? Do you know what I've done for you? I've been working this all in your life all along. Remember when this just happened? It's preparing us for ministry. As we're walking with him, what happens, all things work for good. Those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? Those things that as we're on track with the Lord, as those things are happening, they're happening because God is going to use us. He's sharpening us. He's building us. He's going to use us powerfully. So Jesus had given them the example, and, and then he says to them, do as I have done to you to serve one another, to love one another. And where he just took the position of humility, we are also. We are we're to do the same. <clears throat> we follow in pride. You guys ever, I, I just remember just being a kid. I was always, it bugged me the most as a kid, just because I think it's a little more, um, we're not doing it as much as, as adults. But when your kid's out on the playground playing football, playing basketball, a lot of people will tell you how great they are at something. And that gets old really fast. I'm the best basketball player you're going to play against. I'm the strongest guy out here on the football field. Yap, yap running, right? It gets old fast. And Jesus is talking about humility, the total opposite of that, where that's going to get annoying and it's going to shut off relationships. Jesus is saying, I don't care how good you are. And what's really cool is when you see somebody who's really awesome at something and you'd never know it. And it just quietly like, you know, uh, just they've, they, they've, they've learned humility in their lives instead of being prideful. Oh, I'm the greatest at this and that. They're just, I, you know, I'm not anything special, but they're really good at what they're doing. That's those are it's, it's always easy. Um, you know, I, I learned this week, that uh, there, uh, there's game uh, today, uh, the two football games, the championship games for um, each conference, and whoever wins goes to the Super Bowl. And I saw a, a um, something uh, online that was a Brock Purdy, who was the last person picked in the draft, the NFL draft this past year. That last person is given a special jersey of, I don't know what number it is, 294, whatever it is. That's the, you know, usually when they're first round pick, they get a number one jersey. This guy gets number 364, whatever it is. And on the back, it says Mr. Irrelevant on there. Okay. So he got drafted by the 49ers, San Francisco 49ers. And it happens that their uh, starter and their first backup are both injured for the rest of the year. They're done. So they have to call up Mr. Irrelevant to come in and uh, quarterback uh, the team. He's 8-0. He hasn't lost a game. And they're now in the championship game. And I sent the, what he was saying <clears throat> to uh, a couple buddies this week. And I was, I was blessed. I just, I just want to read to you um, what he said. He says, uh, he's saying this on a TikTok broadcast. And uh, he says, but to be on fire for the Lord... And to walk with him, I think right now, man, I am all about, hey, I'm living uh, set apart from the world. And the last thing that I, I took a picture of the quotes was, the bottom line is for me, my identity, but my identity is in Jesus. If there's anybody whose head could be exploding right now, it could be the guy being, oh, yeah, you guys all discarded me, didn't you? Mr. Irrelevant, all this stuff. I hope that's what drives him. You know, just, okay, you want to call me Mr. Revelant? I know that God had a greater purpose, and I'm going to follow the Lord. You guys can call me whatever you want. I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to follow Jesus. And look where Jesus has brought him in. With his platform, what is he doing? Praising Jesus. That's the, uh, I love that. Servants no greater than his master. Verse uh, uh, 17 
If you know these things, blessed are you if they do them. Knowing and doing. Jesus is speaking of the blessings of being obedient to his word and the blessings that come from following his example. The blessings are attached to the obedience is what he's saying here. Blessings from God are, we get blessed. And there are people that don't walk with the Lord and they're blessed in their life and they just choose to reject the Lord. But for the Christian, the blessings come from obedience. As we obey the Lord, the blessings continue to come. And uh, so just remember, as we follow him and we're obedient to him, his blessings are going to come. And that's when we're going to experience his blessings. And those are most likely going to bless others. Uh, and that's the way it's supposed to be. We're going to use those blessings that he's given us to bless others, to serve others. Because he's saying here, hey, do what I've done. You, 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 he says here, uh, if you knowing these things, uh, if, if you know these things, blessed are you if they do them, if you do them. You know, uh, unfortunately, on the other side, if we reject the truth uh, and make provisions for the flesh, or flesh we become self-centered and uh, self-serving and uh, there's no contentment. Uh, there's the two opposites, right? There's the complete blessing as we walk through. We can be walking through fire and trial and everything, but as we're focused on the Lord, we're still experiencing the blessing of walking with him. The opposite side of that is we lose focus of who he is and we come, become more self-centered. And uh, we, uh, when we're self-centered and we're trying to fill our lives with other things than the blessings of the Lord, what happens? We're never full. There, there, that fullness never comes, and it, it becomes a uh, to a point of discontentment. So we should know to do the right thing and to do it. These guys were being called to love and to be humble. Yeah, the the knowing and doing should be Siamese twins, but they get separated, and so it's just what happens. So knowing to do good and not doing it. You know, I know what's right, but I want X more. I want this more. I know I'm supposed to do this. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I'm going to do this anyways. That's where the trouble is. I know I'm supposed to do this. God, God knows, you know, uh, you know what's, uh, what's going on in my heart. He's going to be patient. No, like just reject it and follow him. Be, let's, let's be serious. Be mature about our faith rather than just playing around in the mud puddles and saying, oh, you know, I'm kind of good right here. I'm going to stay right here in this stagnant part uh, here. No, just dive into the Lord. James 4, 17 says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it to him, it is sin. So when the Lord said, it's a command, when he's saying, you know to do these things, you need to do those things. The life of the Christian must be in submission to the word and must be in submission to the lordship of Christ. It has to be. Otherwise, are we truly Christians, have we truly accepted him as our Lord and our Savior? Verse 18, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture might be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me and has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you uh, will betray me. So in fulfillment of Psalm 41, uh, verse 9, it says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. You know, Jesus prepares the disciples for Judas's betrayal so that they uh, know that uh, that he was aware of it, that it wasn't sh a shock to him. And uh, Judas knew that he was going to betray Jesus, and, and Jesus knew it. And Jesus still washed his feet. He still washed his feet. And uh, Jesus called him a devil, still washed his feet. So what we see here is a decline happening. And we already know that Jesus, uh, Judas was a devil, but uh, now we see the like steep decline happening in Judas's life. Uh, you know, he thinks he's going to get rich. He's going to get 30, uh, 30 pieces of silver, and, and uh, life's going to be grand for him. And then he realizes what he's done. And verse 22, then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus's bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. 
Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he who, uh, he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, do what you do quickly. Or what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor, having received the piece of bread. Uh, he went out immediately, and it was night. You know, everyone was trying to, everybody's perplexed, and a very heavy thing uh, can you imagine being in a small group of people and, and looking around going, one of you is going to betray me? And they're all like, what? What's going on here? What do, what do you mean? And, uh, you know, none of his true disciples uh, are, are going to do that. His sheep that love him and, and wanted to be with him, they're humans, and they know that they've got some failure in him, but they're like, man, I hope I don't have that in me, uh, that, that I'm going to betray God. You know, so they're sitting in a, uh, a U-shaped uh, table, uh, you may have heard, uh, called a triclinium, and they'd often recline back and they would eat their food. So when it says that um, you know, Simon Peter's motioning to the one whom Jesus loved, which was John, he mentions himself in that, that way four times, uh, you know, Peter's trying to get his attention. I, I just, I don't know what you guys, I kind of see Peter kind of like, hey, ask him, ask him, you know, giving him that. You know, what, you know when you're trying to whisper to somebody and they don't know what you're saying? You know, I, I wonder if that might have happened. He's like, no, ask him, ask him who it is, whatever it is. And, and John gets the message and he asks Jesus and uh, Jesus tells him it's the one that he gives the bread to. And uh, now he gives the bread to Judas and, and Satan entered him. And, and Judas accepting the bread uh, takes the fateful step of completely rejecting Christ. And he goes and he moves forward with his plan uh, and he becomes uh, wholly and completely a tool of Satan. Uh, at that point. And uh, verse 28 says, none of them were, uh, where, where it's talking about, they're all trying to figure it all out. None of them are going, I knew it was Judas. I knew it was him. They, they still didn't know. They're still at a point of confusion. And they're, they're, they're sitting there uh, going, oh, yeah, it, it, it's definitely him. See the devil horns and the wolf fangs. And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely him. You know, they, they had, um, uh, you know, all, all night they'd uh, uh, just spent this time here and then Jesus drops this and, um, you know, they thought that he was being sent out to buy whatever they needed. And, uh, you know, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, you know, you know, the cartoon pictures of, of the devil there with the pitchfork and, you know, oh, yeah, I saw it hidden under his cloak one day and he hit it really quick. None of them were saying that they didn't expect it was Judas at all. But we know that Jesus in John chapter 6, verses 70 and 71, that, uh, he said, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. And in Zechariah, it tells of the 30 pieces of silver that he would uh, receive. John chapter 17, verse 12 says, While I was with them in the world, Jesus is praying, uh, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the son, that the scripture might be fulfilled. The man of sin. That's the only one that he had lost when he's praying to the father. Verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the son of man is glorified and God is glorifying him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself. And glorify him immediately. Now, uh, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, you, uh, by this all will know that you are my disciples. Uh, if you have love for one another, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus said to him, where I'm going, you cannot come, uh, but you shall follow me afterward. Peter said, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Immediately, uh, most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. 
So the Lord speaks of the cross when he says he's going to be glorified. We, we discussed that a little bit last week, that others would consider that place to be a place of shame and embarrassment, but that was the we look at it as Christians, as the glory of God, and God was glorifying his name through the work on the cross that was coming. Verse 34, uh, he speaks of a new commandment, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's an impossible command without the Holy Spirit. How hard is it to really love people the way we're supposed to, the way God says? Uh, not without the Holy Spirit, it's not going to happen because it's going to be burdensome. You know, that we get to the point because of the Spirit and because of God, His love residing in us, that we would be willing to lay down our life for one another. That's the love that, that Jesus is. It, as it, Remember, Jesus is saying, you know, follow my example. He's saying those things to them, and he's, he's displaying these things so that we would follow the example of our shepherd and love uh, one another. You know, the, the spirit, as we're called to love, works in us a loneliness of mind as we yield to him. We discussed this verse before. I'm going to share it real quickly now. Mark 9.35, uh, the Lord said, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and a servant of all. You want you want to love people, we have to become servants. We can't walk around like lords demanding everybody to to, to follow us and and uh, and then uh, we're not showing love when we do that. Philippians 2 tells us how to love uh, in the way of the Lord. Philippians 2 verses 3 through 8. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each one esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Love each each other. Consider other people more important than ourselves. You know, not out looking out for our own interests only, but in the interests of others. That selfless love that Christ displayed made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant, a bond servant of a slave, that God would take the the form of a slave. Love each other like Jesus loved, a servant. The Lord is more faithful than a brother. How do we get to that point? How do we love each other uh, the way that Jesus is describing here? Romans 5 says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. That love comes from the Spirit. As we're walking with the Lord, we're filled with the Spirit, that love is going to uh, just overflow in our lives and pour out of our lives. That's how we love. If we're trying to think of how else would we do it, you know, how do I do that in my own strength? We don't. We just rely upon the Lord to change our hearts. You know, how are Christians supposed to be seen in this world? Love. Wrapping this up, the spirit of our enemy is alive and well in this world right now, if you haven't been able to tell. If you want some signs that we can see that the opposite of love, that selfishness is reigning right now, self-exaltation is happening, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. Listen to these and tell me that the, that the, uh, the spirit of uh, Satan is not alive and well in this world right now. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of, of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. We have been given the ultimate example of love, selflessness, service in God, and it's all opposite, completely opposite of what 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5 just spelled out. When we see what's happening in the world today, it's, it's insane. This world, If we're wondering if we're at the end of time, tell me one of those that, that doesn't uh, apply right now. 
This world, a disobedient to parents. Just, just, you can just go through any of these. Despisers of good. No, just do what you want. Who cares? Why, who are we to say? This place is going crazy. You've heard the saying, hell in a handbasket. That's where the world is headed. Verse 37, you know, Peter meant what he said as we wrap this up. You know, Peter was the one that drew out the sword in the garden, chopped off Malchus's ear. He was willing to fight as long as Jesus was with him. When Jesus wasn't with him, he lost that, that edge, didn't he? When Jesus wasn't with him. Remember when the waves were crashing, when he couldn't see Jesus? Whew, he starts sinking. When Jesus was taken away and he just experienced all of that, after chopping off Malchus's ear, as soon as he's by himself and Jesus isn't physically there with him, he loses his confidence and he loses his trust and his faith. And that's when he ends up, uh, when we'll get into that, just denying that he knew the Lord. You know, that's when he experienced the failure is when he didn't have physically have Jesus right there next to him. You know, the Lord prepared Peter. He prepared the disciples for the rejection, the um, uh, betrayal that was coming. And he prepared Peter. He's starting to prepare Peter for the failure he's going to have uh, at a later point as we as we study. If there's one verse we get here, verse 35, by this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. That all the other junk that, that can be seen in what's happening here, when we look back at the example of our God, where he girded a towel and washed the disciples' feet, and he, he showed them that, that great humility, and he, he spoke to them of love that should be uh, in our hearts for our brothers and sisters, and that that should change the world, that it should go out and minister. And how will everybody know? Because we love one another. You know, that's, it's, it's, about the church, because if there's strife within the church and everybody sees that, they're gonna be like, "Why would I want to? Why would I want to go to church? It's just like going to work. All drama. Nobody likes each other or anything." That God's love would rule and reign in our hearts. That we would take the the humble approach to our lives, and that we would follow the Lord in His lowly servant example of washing feet, and that we wouldn't be, uh, you know, up uh, just filled up with pride and the big heads and. Uh, walking around, oh, I'm better than you, and all these things. You know, the Lord and it was preparing them uh, for ministry, and He prepares us for ministry after we accept Him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray, Father. We are grateful for Your Word, and we ask God that uh, You would remind us of what we've gone through. Thank You, Lord, for this time. And I know I went over by a few minutes, but it's uh, You. You have something powerful for us here, and we pray, Lord, that we won't just zip it up. Uh, with our Bibles and, you know, uh, pack it away and, and uh, forget about it. But you'd help us to meditate on it. And, Lord, that your word would change our hearts, minds, and lives and build us and, and, and use us mightily. Fill us, Lord, with your love and then it would overflow. God, that we would uh, humbly serve you and serve others as we should. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace to you. If you uh, 